Hi, it's Leon Dolan, and my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical, is out now and available everywhere. People Magazine chose it as an April pick of the month, one of the best this week, a hopeful take on commitment, they said, and an innovative story about marriage. Mmm, sounds juicy. The Marriage Sabbatical, out now, available everywhere. It's the Satellite Sisters. Hi, this is Leanne Dolan. I'm Monica Dolan. This is Sheila. I'm Liz Dolan. This is Julie. Real sisters, real life, real conversation. Tackling the world one cup of coffee at a time. The Satellite Sisters. The Satellite Sisters, welcome to the show. It is Sunday, November 2nd. Okay, who can believe it's November? Nobody. Uh, nobody, nobody. Uh, I'm Liz Dolan. I am in Santa Monica, California, joined by my sister Julie in Dallas, Texas. Julie, how are you? Glad to be here, Liz. Yep. And we have a special guest, our Satellite Sister Next Generation, our niece, Megan Dolan Saparita. Megan, welcome back to Satellite Sisters. Thank you. So happy to be here today. <laughs> well, we were thinking about you about a lot of things over the last couple of weeks, and we realized it had been months since we had you on the show. So here you are. Sheila is not going to be able to make it this week, but she did want to send in a news bulletin about her daughter, Ruthie. Uh, I know you guys saw this on Ruthie's Facebook page, but last weekend, Sheila was telling us on the show that Ruthie was interviewing for a job with an A-list director, to be named later, right? Where we will only name the A-list director if Ruthie actually gets the job. Right. But then the news that we got, which we didn't expect, was this week on Ruthie's Facebook page, she posted this incredibly exciting news. And she said, incredibly honored and thrilled that Spike Lee has chosen little old me to be the recipient of the Sandra Efraimova Film Production Fund for my thesis film. I'm ready to get to work and show you guys a dance film I'm very excited about. I'm really incredibly thankful to Spike for pushing me and believing in me. Look out, realness is coming. So that is super exciting that Ruthie won a prize and she won it from Spike Lee. And that is. Who she calls Spike. Who she calls Spike, exactly. She doesn't even call him Mr. Lee. That is Spike Lee. What do, you, what do you think, Megan? Like, Ruthie is your age. You guys are like cousins there in the New York, New York scene. Pretty exciting for Ruthie, huh? It's super exciting. I'm so proud of her and so excited for her because I know that she's been working so hard. I actually went to see her film, um, one of her thesis projects, The Charms, when she did that production. I think it was last winter. Um, and it was amazing. She's so talented. And I know she has a close relationship with Spike. Um, Spike, now I can call him Spike. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> so I just, I just think it's awesome. I think she's so deserving, and I cannot wait to see what she does. Yes, so super exciting. We wanted to pass along that news. The news on the uh, job interview, by the way, is that she was interviewed by the current assistant. So apparently she has to work her way up the chain before she gets to even be interviewed by the principals in this situation. Anyway, so Sheila was busy this weekend. Monica also sends her best. She was busy. And Leanne is working a bunch of weekends this time of year. So that's why it's us. I think this is a pretty awesome threesome, though. So, all right. Megan, last time you were on the show, 
you had just bought a new house, which was very, your first ever house. You got married about a year ago, then you and Greg bought a house. So how's it going? And now you're starting to celebrate the holidays in your house. Yes, exactly. We just had our first exciting holiday, Halloween. Um, it's going great. Yeah, I think last time that we spoke, we had either just put an offer in or just got accepted. And we did what we, we've been calling the coast-to-coast move on Long Island. So we moved from the South Shore to the North Shore. Uh-huh. Um, from a small apartment on the beach up to a town called Northport, New York, that believe it or not, is directly across Long Island Sound from Westport. <laughs> which is where you grew up, which is very nice. And that must be very nice for you and for your parents, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. So it's really exciting. Um, the house is an, an older house, but was, you know, the people we bought it from were antiquers and collectors, and it was just in great shape. So really, we just painted and moved our very little bit of furniture from our tiny apartment in, and that's pretty much where we are. So it's very spacious inside because a lot of room, not a lot of furniture. Right, exactly. So that's what we're doing slowly. Somehow, however, the garage, which is, you know, the kind of man cave right now, somehow a lot of um, accessories and things like that have ended up in there. You know, one of the first one of the first times I went in there, I said, oh, what when do we get this surfboard rack? And my husband said, oh, I got it for my birthday. I said, oh, that's so nice. Who gave it to you? Well, I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to be watching the Home Depot charges <laughs> from now on, Megan. Yeah. You know, it just they are the, somehow things, it's always on sale. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you, can't, you can't expect them to live without a surfboard rack, though, Megan. Come on. No, no they, what, they're supposed to go on the, on the ground. <laughs> But our really exciting, um, our really exciting news is that we've been planting grass. So we've been literally watching grass grow, and it's very exciting. (laughs) You've really turned a corner. So how was Halloween in your neighborhood? Do you have a one of those neighborhoods where there's a lot of kids, a lot of trick or treating, busy? We do. It was busy. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say we got more than like thirty or forty. Definitely nothing like Leon, but I was. so excited. I mean, when it turned five o'clock, I ran out of work. I flew home to the point where I was driving down the street saying to kids, you can come back to our house. (laughs) So it was really, really fun. Now, what kind of candy did you go with, Megan? What, what was your candy strategy for Halloween? Well, I just bought cho- assorted chocolate candy because in case we have some left over, you know, that's that's what we need here. <laughs> but I, I was told by one of the trick-or-treaters when I put the bowl out, he looked at me and said, well, we're getting a lot of Kit Kats this year. <laughs> okay, we'll take some peanut m ms then. <laughs> That's interesting. Okay, Kit Kat, back in fashion. I kind of kind of like to hear that. So, uh, Julie, how about Halloween with your gang? You've got the uh, I have the, the three the young grandchildren, three grandchildren. So I went over there to their house. Um, so they were going out with a couple of their you know parents and school friends to trick or treat in their neighborhood, and I was manning the front door while they were out trick or treating. One observation I had is I have listened to my seven-year-old granddaughter and my five-year-old grandson talk nonstop for a year about Halloween, about what they were going to wear, what they were going to do, what costumes. You know, I, I was, you know, first Al- 
Alice was going to be a vampire, then she was going to be a peacock, and then she was going to be a vampire peacock, and, you know, she wasn't going to be a princess, and, and Benjamin was going to be Darth Vader, or he was going to be um, a stormtrooper, or he was going to be both. He was going to do, they just, constant, constant talk. They were so excited for Halloween. And I clocked it. They were out trick-or-treating for one hour and 15 minutes, you know, with their parents and their friends, their little brother, Peter. They had a blast. They came back with candy and it was all over. I mean, a year's worth of planning. (laughs) And really it was an hour and 15 minutes and they loved every minute of it. And they immediately started talking about, well, next year, I think I'm going to wear this as a costume. (laughs) I don't know if you remember that, but it is really... It's a pretty good holiday. You yeah. really get, I mean, you know, you, they don't, you don't have to do much to have a super-duper time on Halloween, and they really did. We did have one a, a sort of incident that happened a little later. You know, they're in a nice neighborhood, lots of families, lots of kids. Um, there are plenty of kids out on the street. But because uh, Nick and Vera, my son and daughter-in-law, they have the three kids, and they needed to, you know, to get everyone ready for bed, around 7 or 7.30, they just took all their remaining Halloween candy and they put it in a big bowl, like they have a big pasta bowl, and they put that out on the front step for people just to help themselves, you know, whatever they wanted to do. Take one, take two, take five. They didn't care. Well, the next morning they got up and someone had taken the pasta bowl. (laughs) Now, how... What, what, I mean, what is the circumstance under which you would steal a postable, a large ceramic postable? Okay, are you a parent and a child trick-or-treating and the parent just takes the bowl in front of the child? Or are you a group of, like, preteens? What are you going to do with a giant postable, right? I mean... Who took that? Who t- who I did? wouldn't. Be, I wouldn't be surprised if they find the pasta bowl like ditched in some nearby bushes or something. That yeah, that's what I would guess. Like some twelve-year-olds thought that would be hilarious to take the yes. the whole bowl, and then they got about a block and they thought we're not carrying this bowl around. I know. So they they dumped the candy into their bags and ditched the bowl. So well, they, but there was no. Apparently, there was no candy. I mean, they must have run out of candy. Or, oh. I don't know. I, I think the bowl was empty. And they just stole the empty bowl. So they were, so my son is looking, he's, he's on the search to, you know, to see if they had like smashed it somewhere. He hasn't found it, but that was an unusual twist to Halloween. Don't you think? Yes. Yeah. Well, definitely the preteens though. I don't think that was a parent and a child. I think that would be right. I don't No, No, that's a roving band of kids together. That just think they're they're right on the verge of vandalism, but not quite. So this was edgy enough to make them... You know, remember one of the fun things about Halloween, at least this is the way I felt, was just being out alone in the dark. It brings out some of your wilder tendencies. I mean, not when you're Alice and Benjamin's age, but when you're like 11, 12... You're, you feel very edgy out alone at night running around, especially, you know, if you don't quite know all the people in the neighborhood. We used to go neighbor, go trick-or-treating in our cousin's neighborhood, Julie, remember? So, yes. so we didn't really know anyone in that neighborhood, so you could, you could really misbehave if you wanted to because the parents didn't know who you were. 
And I don't, th I think very little of that actually goes on anymore. Uh, Liz, the uh, Halloween of your childhood. Now it's pretty, pretty regulated. You know, I mean, most people are out with their parents or some of the older kids are at parties because, uh, because the idea that you can just run free and wild in a strange, dark neighborhood, those days are gone, Liz. Oh, okay. that's too bad. <laughs> you know, I, I have to say though, we got a couple groups of those preteens, like, you know, 13, 12, 13, 14 year old boys and they knew they were too old because they showed up when I opened the door they had smirks on like oh gosh she's gonna know that I just got a mask from my brother and I didn't have a costume one kid one kid was just carrying a FedEx box they said well what are you he said I'm a box <laughs> so they knew they were too old <laughs> but did you did you give them candy anyway Megan yes I did yeah you gotta reward the effort you know yeah. sitting out and about Okay, well, well, we'll have to plan for next year, Megan, and I think you can really uh, talk to Leon about Halloween decorations. Start now. They'll be on sale this weekend, so you really can score some good things for your front yard, okay? Yes, that's right. All right, but Megan, I'm so happy you're on the show because I saw there were a couple of stories in the news, and I really wanted to get you, you know, as, as the next generation, I wanted to get your take on this. One was, you know, this, this time of year, of course, it's parents' weekend on a lot of college campuses, but they had an article in the paper about many employers, I don't know many, but some employers are now organizing and sponsoring parents' day at work. That, you know, big companies like LinkedIn, uh, Virgin, Google, uh, Northwestern Mutual, British, um, British Airways, all have Bring Your Parents to Work Day. And Megan, I, we know your parents. <laughs> your father is our brother. And, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we were just wondering what you thought of the idea of, like, you know, of bringing your parents to work. Because I know your parents would probably come. They, they would totally come. Oh, they would love that. That's what I was just thinking. That I think that works out great for the parents. I think that's really driven, probably oriented towards them. But I have to say, though, when I was a, when I was a prosecutor at the DA's office, both of my parents did come to watch trials. Now, that's not, you know, your typical office environment. But they did come to my work and, yeah, you know, yeah. watch what I did, so. Actually, that is very cool. That, that Yes, that's one good reason to have a daughter who's a prosecutor. You could just sit there all day and watch her do her thing. Yes. So I'm sure they enjoyed that. And your mother is also a lawyer. So did she ever, was there any conversation afterwards about how you did something? Did she ever give you any legal advice? I'm, I'm asking because I hope not, Megan. No, definitely didn't. Okay. All right. Good. <laughs> Uh, Julie, right, so can I just say I can't imagine anything worse than, <laughs> than, than bring your parents to work day? I mean, maybe it's a generational difference, but, like, can you imagine mom and dad, like, even even 10 years ago, like, taking them to, it would just be, you know, I feel like any time we were ever, like, with mom in a work environment, she uh -huh. totally misbehaved. Like, <laughs> she did. Do you remember one time? Actually, yeah. Megan, we were with your mother uh, our satellite sister-in-law, Mary, and we were actually doing a series of appearances with Oprah. And we were like Oprah's opening act at a big live event in Liberty State Park in New Jersey. So your mother, Mary, very kindly brought our mother, Edna, because we were working. And our mom was 
totally brief, like, we are working, do not try to talk to us, we are backstage, do not try to come there, Please, we will meet you afterwards once it's all over, and we thought we had this all under control because we had your mom in charge of security. Oh, no, that was not to be. There was a moment during the show where there was a break in the action, and dun 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 oh, we see, we see our mom, like, walking towards the front, walking towards the front. Next thing you know, she's just busting past the security guard to go backstage. Then she's like, at this point, she's like an 80-year-old woman, or maybe she was 75 at the time. Yeah. No, nobody's going to, like, tackle a 75-year-old Edna Dolan. And so she just magically appears backstage. Like, <laughs> like what? the security here is so tight. And she's like, well, I just wanted to say hello. I just... So I think she brought us stuff, too, Liz. You know, she had a little um, gift bag full of stuff that she brought for us. Again, which was another rule. Do not bring us anything. So, yeah, mom and dad would be bad. But, Megan, in your current position, could you see your would, You know, would it be kind of interesting for your parents to see the corporate environment where you work now? Well, I mean, it's I am in court a lot still, so I could see them definitely coming okay. um, when I'm on trial now. But, it, but my current office is very much more corporate, you are right, than it was at the DA's office, you know. So I don't think that would really fly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So you don't see it happening. I I just don't think this is probably a good trend, you know. I mean, I just... I, I'm suspicious of companies that want their employees to bring their parents to work. It just, uh, I, I think it's it's a lack of focus there. I don't I don't know what's going on. It seems okay, weird. It seems weird. <laughs> yeah, that's why I think they want to get something out of it. LinkedIn wants maybe they're trying to sign up the parents on LinkedIn as well. I don't know. It's just it's there. There is some ulterior motive. Okay, Julie, have either of your sons ever invited you to watch them work? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, they haven't. No, they haven't. I'm usually instructed to just stay out, either to stay in the car, do yeah. not get out of the car, or my son who works in New York, just stay on the street. He didn't even tell me. He didn't even tell me the address of his company for a couple of years. But then I had to ship something to him, so he, I, I had to look it up. He's just so. No, but, they, but wait, when when your son Will was working at the Museum of Modern Art. As a tour guide, yes, that, yes. he actually gave us a tour, so that was a fun day at work with your son, Will. Yes, that was a fun day at work, and that was great. Yes, but uh, uh, yes, that was. So there are some ex- exceptions, but again, I think it's the office environment. Yeah, they yeah, that's really, not good. I understand. I understand what you're saying, Megan. You really, you really don't want your parents yeah. coming to your cubicle or whatever you got. <laughs> okay, Megan. Here's uh, Megan and Liz. Here's here's another trend, a human resource trend that I would really like your take on and it's the workplace reading assignment so stick with me these are companies where your boss comes in and says i would like you to read this work of fiction and everyone in our work group is going to read it and then we are going to discuss it together and we might even um, hire a local professor to come in and uh, enlighten us about what this you know uh, some other aspects of this book do you think this is a good idea? Uh, would you like to be in essentially, a, you know, like a book club with your fellow employees, but have an assigned reading assignment from your boss? 
So I'll, I'll let Megan go first on this one. I definitely would not into that. I think that sounds horrible. And I also think that would be very distracting from the job. I, I don't, you know, if they're going to take time out of the work day to do that, I feel like that's counterproductive. But then if they're going to ask you to go, like, let's say to an evening uh, book club, then that's cutting into your personal time. But you kind of have to do it if your boss is assigning the book and saying, oh, we want you to participate in this. So I am not for that. I do not like that idea. <laughs> okay, Liz, what do you think? I you're think a boss. How, could you, you're a boss. What do you think about, like, assigning? They gave the example of a work group that read Snow Falling on the Cedars. Did you ever read that book? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And my, so, group, my book group read it, which is, you know, lovely people I spend time with by choice once a month so that we can get away from work and talk about something other than work issues. So, I mean, that's why you have friends is you can do these things with your friends. Uh, instead, in the work environment, I just don't understand what the goal would be. I, I have been in a work environment where occasionally a boss will send out a book that is somehow related to work, like a book about, I don't know, uh, leadership or teamwork or something. And they'll just say, hey, I read this. This is interesting. You should look at it. Or something, you know, more often than not, it's a magazine article, which is about as ambitious as they should really get with these things. But I can't, for the life of me, think of any benefit of sitting around uh, at least in my workplace, talking, no, no, I'm not for that. <laughs> no, I can't, I'm trying to stretch and th I guess, you they, know. They said, well, it's enriching or, you know, in this yeah, case. Yeah, I think I'll be doing my enriching on my own time, thank you. I think that's why, that's why I leave work and go home and have a life. So <laughs> I believe, believe me, I'm totally for people being enriched. But enriched at work under a boss's scrutiny? Mm, no, I'm not really feeling that at all. How about you? Okay. No, I think it's sort of a really dumb idea and also dangerous that when, you know, because it's a work of fiction, you, you might get into discussions that might not be appropriate in the workplace. It just could be all kinds of trouble. And I think what, what you and Megan said, that it's just more work for you to do, to, yeah. read this, to read this book. Okay? Right. Yeah. And kind of takes all the fun out of it. You know, because yeah. this, I mean, the whole point of a book group is you're sitting around after work, you're, you know, there's some food, there's some wine, it's you're in wine. some, it's really the wine. <laughs> yes, it's... Don't have any of that in the workplace. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But I did see an amazing, amazing book group list uh, in the paper this weekend. This is in the Sunday book review of the New York Times. And the way my schedule works, I will have to admit that. I read a lot more book reviews than I read actual books. You know, you just, you can kind of get the gist of it from the reviews. And um, anyway, so today in the book review, there is an article entitled Bruce Springsteen by the book. And so it's actually an interview with Bruce Springsteen about what he likes to read, you know, sort of history of reading, what turned him on originally. So anything with Bruce Springsteen, I like, I have an automatic Google alert set. So that, that popped up like Friday I read this. And this is an unbelievably impressive list of books that Bruce Springsteen has read. So I just thought I would give you guys the highlights and see if, if you continue to do this level of adult learning. First of all, the reason he was talking about it is because he has a new picture book out called Outlaw Pete. Um, and, but he particularly likes reading about cosmology. 
Uh, how about you guys? Cosmology, is that like, is that what you're doing in your book group, Julie? Anything, anything on cosmology? No, no, mainly cosmetics. Li- li- <laughs> no, oh, co- oh, cosmetology. <laughs> Cosmopolitan. <laughs> You're reading Cosmopolitan. Good for you, Meg. Good for you. Uh, anyway, anyway, he said, I find men and women, women struggling to answer the deepest questions we can ask freeing. Okay, good for you, Bruce. And so, so what book is he currently reading? What did he just finish? He just finished Moby Dick, which he said scared me off for a long time due to the hype of its difficulty. I found it's a beautiful boy's adventure story and not that difficult to read. Warning, you will learn more about whales than you ever wish to know. So that was good. Okay, Moby Dick, that's a classic. But then when, then when they ask about his favorite novelists of all time, Julie, you will appreciate this. He said, I like the Russians. The Chekhov short stories, Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, I've never read any of them until the past four years, but found them to be thoroughly psychologically modern. Personal favorites, the brothers Karamazov, which you have always called the brothers Scare My Eyes Off. Scare My Eyes Off. (laughs) And Anna Karenina. So, okay, we can all agree those are some pretty good choices, huh? Yeah, well, the boss has soul, Liz. That's yes, yes, I know. But it comes from somewhere. He's got that deep Russian sense of suffering. Now I understand. It's not just a New Jersey sense of suffering. It's a Russian sense of suffering, which is totally deep. But then how about this? They asked him, like, what book most influenced your decision to become a songwriter and musician or contributed to your artistic development? Now, this one really surprised me. Uh, He said, I skipped most of college, which, of course, we knew. I skipped most of college, becoming a road musician, so I didn't begin reading seriously until 28 or 29. Then it was Flannery O'Connor, right? Flannery O'Connor. Now, that came out of left field for me. The short stories of Flannery O'Connor, he believes, what did he say about them? He said, they landed hard on me. And here's something I say about books all the time. He said, you could feel within them the unknowability of God, the intangible mysteries of life that confounded her characters, and which I find by my side every day. Okay. All right. Uh, sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm very impressed by that. So then final uh, detail I'll share with you from this story. Uh, he was asked, you're hosting a literary dinner with three writers. Who's invited? All right. That's a tough one, right? Mm, uh, like, that's one of those embarrassing dinner party questions. I'm where, thinking all, all, whoever he picks, they are so psyched to be having dinner with Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> you know, that's, it's really, I was flipping it the other way. But whoever he picks, they'll be like, I'm going to dinner with the boys. You know, so go ahead. Well, okay, well, one guy's dead, Tolstoy, so he's not going to make dinner. But right. uh, Philip Roth was on the list. Okay. And then the next one was Keith Richards. Because he said Keith Richards, you know, Keith Richards did that amazing memoir, that autobiography that Monica loved and recommended here on Satellite Sisters. And then he added one extra writer. He added Bob Dylan. So there's a, there's a dinner party for you. Bruce Springsteen, Philip Roth, Keith Richards, Tolstoy, and Bob Dylan. Like, can you imagine you look across a restaurant and you see that gang together? That's a book club. Like, not not your colleagues, not the people you have to work with. No, I'm going to dinner with Philip Roth, Keith Richards, Tolstoy, and Bob Dylan. So, um, not surprisingly, once again, 
the boss does not disappoint. So I would recommend, like, say you didn't have time to college to go to college if you were off doing, or say you were studying something, you know, like biology, which uh, which <laughs> which none of us studied. Um, this would be an excellent adult syllabus if you read the whole story. Honestly, if you read the stuff Bruce Springsteen has read recently, you would be one of the most well-informed and enlightened people around. So I will post that on the website if you want yeah, to that's check that idea. out. But interesting and I guess not totally surprising, but I was thinking, okay, all of you uh, Brooklyn hipsters, sorry, Megan, Brooklyn <laughs> hipsters who think that like you're, that you're just, that Bruce Springsteen is not cool, um, I, I beg to differ. Uh, you might want to check out this list. Yeah, they'll think much differently now after this article. I would, I would expect them to. Yes, but um, Liz, you're not doing much bedtime reading at your place uh, lately, are you? I mean, I, you're no, you're no longer lying in bed with a big pile of books, are you? Because could you write? Could you fill us in on what's going on, uh, Shay Liz? Oh, uh, here's the thing. Okay. Southern California is just such a fantastic place to live, um, and but especially during a drought, I gotta say, because it never rains in Southern California. It just never ever rains, and like for the last three years, nothing. We got nothing until Friday night, Halloween night. It was it was really like the moment the kids went home and the lights got turned off in most places, it started to pour, which is very unusual. But actually very nice. So I was laying in bed, like you would wake up occasionally during the night and hear the pitter-patter of rain on the roof. And you think, ah, oh, that is so relaxing and so nice. But then as the early morning rolled around, like 5 a.m., I realized the pitter-patter I was hearing was actually inside my bedroom. It was, it was inside, maybe even on my bed. I'm like, wait a minute, that does sound awfully close and I, I slowly opened my eyes as my it was just as the sun was coming up so I could see that a giant leak had developed in my bedroom ceiling okay this is just totally not fair that it rains once every three years if you're lucky here but when it does you find out whether or not you have a leak in your ceiling so, uh, so I got up and, you know, there were buckets all over, uh, I put out towels, uh, I got, then I got on a stool and with a mop sort of pressed against the ceiling, like a huge bubble was forming. You know what that looks like, right? <laughs> and you know what that means when you have a huge... Yes, yes. Like if you know, as a new homeowner, we want to make sure you know, like if you see a huge bubble forming in your ceiling... You know you got you got water there, right? Oh, gosh. And now I can't just call my super. Yes, right, right. No, me neither. So, like, I, I got up there, and with a mop, I pressed ever so gently, just ever so gently against the bubble, and a whole gusher came out <laughs> in, in, into the bucket, which is what I wanted, Julie. It was the right idea. So, so I assumed that by kind of draining the wound, so to speak, I was going to be better positioned for the rest of the day. And, and, by, and by the way, it had stopped raining by the time it was like, this is 8 a.m. now. So the rain has stopped. The sun has come out. I've now drained my bedroom ceiling into a bucket, and it looks terrible because there are big cracks, you know, sort of along the seaming lines in the drywall or the roof or something, but I feel like I've got a grip on this. So then I go out, and I do a bunch of things during the day. I come back early in the afternoon, 
you know, it's still good, but now some of the plaster has started to droop even more, like cracking and drooping, but hanging from the ceiling. Uh, so I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh. I know. But I love the fact that you just left it. You know, yeah. you went out and did other stuff. It's not like it's not like you stopped what you had to no, do. No, no. The contractor called your insurance company or called somebody. No, no you just left it and moved on. <laughs> I did. I really, what was to be done at this point? I, it wasn't so much of an emergency that I couldn't. You know, I knew that the roofer wasn't going to be able to come until Monday anyway. You know, the or I assumed. Let's just say I assumed. Like it wasn't death-defying in any way. So it was when I got back at about 6 o'clock that things had taken a really terrible turn for the worst. I guess the plaster was so inundated, was so completely soaked through with water that I was in my bathroom. I was getting ready to go out. My A friend of mine was having like what she billed as the first big dinner party of the holiday season, right? Which for me will probably be the only big dinner party of the holiday season. So like, I'm, And she said we had to be festive, right? So I'm getting dressed up. I'm, I bought new sparkly earrings and I'm in my bathroom and I hear this crash and all like in a big section of my bedroom ceiling, all the plaster, all the paint just crashed mainly onto the floor, but a little bit onto the foot of my bed. And now it's like this gaping wound in my ceiling that, you know, can I just remind you, I just finished redecorating my I whole place. Know, yeah. I know. Like last week, Megan, I finished everything. Literally last week. Oh. I had just completely repainted this room and every room in my place. The carpet is completely new. Like just put it down last month. So, uh, so yeah. So now you're right, Julie. There'll be no laying in bed, reading books, just, you know, staring out the window. I'm just staring up at the ceiling thinking, okay, what do we do now? So the at some point... Of course, I do have to alert the authorities in my building, but as I've previously established here on Satellite Sisters, <laughs> oh, no. we have some HOA issues. And uh, so the, the head of the HOA board, uh, a.k.a. my downstairs neighbor, um, I'm just going to use the code name Captain Queeg for... <laughs> I mean, I, now I know I have to alert Captain Quig of what is going on. Anyway, so all of that is in motion. Uh, there's really nothing to be done. Thank goodness it probably won't rain for another three years. So it's it's not like this is – if this was happening at Monica's home in Portland, Oregon, you'd have a serious situation on your hand because the rain, the rain would come every day. That's not the scene here, but – it is. It is ugly. Just big, soaked chunks of plaster and paint. Yeah, yeah. Depressing. Depressing. Even even Ferris ran out of the room. Like the whole crash, he was. He had been laying. Luckily, on another part of my bed. I barely missed him. <laughs> I'm surprised the down Captain Quig, the downstairs neighbor, did not complain about the roof crashing onto the floor. You know she, what? I was surprised too, Julie. I expected that ring, ring. That's normally what happens the moment there's any kind of noise in my place at all, as you know. But no, she's actually been very helpful, I have to say. But the, uh, yeah, not just not a good situation. I feel like I'm being punished for having finally cleaned and freshened up the whole place. The, I guess the only thing I'm grateful for is that the bedroom 
is the least visible room in my home, like as far as having guests over or repairing it. So it is hidden away. So it's not like if my dining room, my living room ceiling had collapsed after everything I've just done in that part of my little place, then I'd be really, really mad. But you're right. I just throw the whole thing crashed down. I looked at it. I, I threw a bunch of the plaster into the bucket and then I just, then I just went out. Then I just shut like, the door and went out. Yeah, life, go, life goes on. You know? Okay, Liz, do not let it get you down there. No, no. <laughs> yeah, like I had a party to go to, Julie. Really, what, was I actually going to? No, it, there was nothing I could do. Seven o'clock on a Saturday night, there is nothing to be done. Okay, Liz, we'll keep us posted because that's the problem yes. with water is it moves. So I know. If it went on your bedroom, it might go to your living room. Yes. Okay, but you're going to let us know about that, Liz. Yeah. To- yeah, I do feel like there was so much water. There was way more water than actually fell from the sky on Friday night. So that's the mystery to me. It's how there could have been that much water considering it hasn't rained in three years. So I'm guessing that the roof over my unit is actually the low point for the whole building. Oh. You know, that's what I'm guessing happened, that everything converged right over the foot of my bed. Okay. Okay. So. Well, take a look. Well, uh, take a lot of... What, what, what would the lawyer say to do, Megan? What, do you have any advice for, uh, for Aunt Liz here? Oh, my gosh. This is so far out of my uh, realm of professional knowledge. Um, I have no idea. I would just call my dad and ask him what's <laughs> Okay, I'll, okay, I'll call your dad. That for you too. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call your dad. No, I'm sure. Yeah, I have no. I, I suppose I should alert my uh, my home insurance people, right? So I have a lot of photos. So the, uh, I have been documenting it anyway. So uh, yes, I will. I will keep you informed. Um, there you have it. Nothing to be done. Okay, as our sister Sheila says, keep us posted, Liz. Okay. Now, Megan, I want to turn and ask you a question because we, Aliyan and I talked about this on an earlier podcast about change, when you get married, whether you should change your name or not. And this came out of the news item that a Mrs. George Clooney was getting a little backlash about taking the name Clooney, um, and that people felt like she should have, you know, this was a step back for feminism, that she should have just kept her, you know, her uh, her maiden name, and that she has a career and identity all of her own, and why did she do this? So anyway, Leanne and I were talking about this. Leanne has never taken her husband's name, although uh, from time to time she claims she uses it, and I have tried every configuration where I didn't take my husband's name, I tried to hyphenate it, and everyone thought I was from Great Britain when I did that. (laughs) Then then I used, I I just, I've tried everything. I've tried using three names, that doesn't work. Anyway, so we wanted to ask you, next generation, what what was your thinking when you got married about um, taking your husband's name? And what are your friends doing? What what do you see as trends? Right. Um, well, I, I heard your conversation, and I think that, first of all, I just have to say, I'm team Amal, so she can do whatever she wants, and she can do no wrong. So Amal Clooney, that's fine. But I kind of did the opposite of what she did. I actually still use my maiden name professionally because, um, you know, I was practicing for about five years before we got married, practicing law and all my connections, and everybody that I know knows me as Megan Dolan. So that's what I, the name I was admitted to the bar under. Um, 
So I'm going to continue to use that professionally, but everything else I use my married, my married name for. <clears throat> and that, like you said, that was the decision that I made, and I just went with it. And, so, and yeah. how's that working? Like your friends, do they... Well, your friends probably don't use your last name a lot, but I, you're now like in my, I have so many email addresses for you now. Some say Dolan, some say Saparita, even getting you on Skype this morning. I the other <laughs> it's really confusing. It's really difficult. The good thing is I have my old email forwarded to my new email. So no, you know, no worries. Nothing's going to get bounced, but, um, Dolan is just the best name ever, so it's just, it was hard and sad, but I really wanted to um, take, you know, my husband's name when we got married, so that's that's what I did, and uh, I'm just, it's still a transition, I mean, it's really hard, especially, not that I'm old, but I'm 30, so I've had a lot of life known as something else, and um, it just is a, a really big change. And And your sister, Catherine... Catherine yeah. Dolan, who got married this past summer, yeah. she has also taken her husband's name, correct? She's Catherine Dolan Nordenson. And is she doing the same thing yes. you're doing where she, professionally she's still Catherine Dolan or is she going full on Nordenson? I, you know, I don't know. I think, she, I, I don't know what she's going to do actually. Um, but the funny thing is, is that her husband's brother, his his wife is also Catherine. So now there's two Catherine Nordensons. <laughs> okay. That's not helpful. I know. <laughs> and what have your friends done, Kat, uh, Megan? Um, most of my friends have changed their names when they got married. Yeah, I, I think um, most of the, most of the people that I know have changed their names completely. You know, like from bank statements to professionally to to everything, have taken their husband's name. Mm-hmm. Which is which I, is it, yeah, it is interesting, um, but. Yeah, that's what my friends have done. Yeah, because your mother, I mean, really, she is obviously our generation, and uh, she always used the the three names, she, Mary, right. Mary McGuire Dolan, but professionally, she was always Mary McGuire, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so, okay, yeah, it's it's complicated. It's it complicated. really is. That is true. <laughs> the only thing that... Go ahead, Megan. No, I was going to say, every piece of mail I get has a different name on it. Some of them say Megan Stolen, <laughs> Megan Dapparita. I mean, it's just, it's, everything is different. <laughs> well, you just got to commit to it. I mean, I think that's the main thing. Whatever you want to do is perfectly fine. Just commit to it. So if you want, if you want two names, two identities, go for it, Megan. That's, you know, that's the way to do it. If you yeah. want one, if you want three <laughs> names, whatever you want. But just don't do the hyphen, whatever you do, because that doesn't work. Okay, got it. I, I think I, if I could, I would change my name to Clooney. That would be really, I, who's not going to take that choice, right? No question. <laughs> okay, other names in the news I want to ask you about, because on a recent visit, uh, as you're a lawyer, we were talking to you about the Oscar Pistorius trial in South Africa. Obviously, um, you know, the, the famous athlete who shot and killed his girlfriend, and how do you think, what do you think of the actual sentence in that Oscar Pistorius? Uh, the, so the verdict was, what was he actually found guilty of? And it seemed to us he got off with barely a slap on the wrist. But how does it seem to you, right. Megan? No, I, I agree with that. I, I think it was surprisingly low. I think what they called it was um, culpable homicide, which I think would be like uh, manslaughter here. 
But even on a manslaughter conviction, mm-hmm. I think you're going to get 15 years, at, at least, you know, 10 to 20 years, I would think. Um, but I think, you know, from what I've read, I think the judge said, basically she said that um, a reasonable person could foresee the consequence of shooting four times through the door. They could foresee that that would cause death, but she wasn't sure if Oscar had had foreseen that consequence. So to me, what that means is that the defense really did their job in confusing the issues so much that mm-hmm. they made the judge buy their story, basically. They, put, they threw everything out there, and that's exactly what the defense wants to do. They want to confuse the issues, put, you know, his traumatic past and the fact that it's a dangerous uh, community, and they've been robbed before, and blah, 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 blah. They put all of that out there. And so you get away from the prosecution's case, which is he knew his girlfriend was in the bathroom with the door locked, and he shot four times through the door to kill her. Um, and I, I think that's what the judge mm-hmm. ultimately went with. But I think five years, to me, seems very low, but like, I think, you know, when it first came out, Liam said a few weeks ago that if the, the family is saying, we think justice was served and, you know, we forgive him and it is what it is. And if they feel that way, then I, I'm very, it's admirable, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think it's sad. I think it's really sad that he could do only 10 months in jail for, for taking that life. Yeah. yeah. Did, did you ever prosecute any cases where you convicted someone, but then they got a much lighter sentence than you would have liked to see as the prosecutor? Um, occasionally, although usually um, it would be the opposite. You know, you kind of try to have a negotiation, a plea deal prior to trial. Uh-huh. And then once you take the risk of going to trial here, obviously the sentence is ultimately up to the judge. And... Most nine times out of ten, a judge is going to hear facts at a trial um, that he's not going to like, and then that will affect his sentence. So it's, uh, most of the time, it does end up being higher after the trial. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, just wanted to clear that one up. It was very interesting. It's always interesting to see the way the justice system works in other countries, isn't it? I mean, this is this is your line of work. It must be fascinating to look at trials as they unfold and what the protocols are in other countries. You know, the rules are so different, like in the UK or South Africa, just in the English speaking world, um, yes. you know, and really radically different in other parts of the world. Right. It definitely, I find it so interesting. I even think it's interesting from state to state here in this country, uh, how different the laws are and how different everything works. So I'm, I'm really a nerd like that. I just love it. I think it's so interesting. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. The, uh, let me switch gears because as I mentioned last night, I was, uh, invited to the first uh, party of the holiday season in my in my world, and this is uh, my friend Vashair, who like has a very pretty house in the Hollywood Hills. She wanted to invite all of her friends over so we could see each other before the busyness of the holiday season begins, which I think was a really nice idea mm-hmm. because you yeah. know once the season kicks in, you have family obligations for Thanksgiving, you have.
have all kinds of Christmas parties and things to go on for work, and then people go away. And so getting together on uh, the 1st of November was actually a fantastic idea. So anyway, I go to this party, and one of the people I bump into is a friend of a friend, someone who I see probably once a year at various parties like this. I run into Lisa, and she's an actress, and you never know with an actress whether to ask about what are you working on now. Because you never know if they have a job. It's a tough way to make a living. So anyway, I was chit-chatting with her during the cocktail portion of the evening. And I'm like, so are you up to anything interesting? And she's like, um, yeah, I just, I just got back from the New York Film Festival, as a matter of fact. I was like, oh, did you see anything good? She said, well, no, my movie, my movie opened the festival. I'm like, that's fantastic, Lisa. What is your movie? And I'm thinking she's going to name some little thing that I haven't heard of. She's like, well... I'm in Gone Girl. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. I'm like, you are? She said, I'm the mom. <laughs> and I was like, you are Amy's mother in that movie? She's like, yes, I'm Amy's mother. <laughs> and so you've seen the movie, Julie, right? Yes. So, oh, I, I, I mean, that actress in the, the yes. mother looked familiar. It yes. Someone you have seen in some other sh- uh, movie, but I didn't know who she was. That, oh, that's exactly. Well, that's a big role. She had big parts. And she she's had, really good in it, too. She is really good in it. So she plays the role of Mary Beth Elliott, who is the writer of all of the amazing Amy books. And uh, so then, you know, really fun to talk to someone. Imagine you're an actress who's been like a, a working actress your whole career, and then all of a sudden you're in this blockbuster movie. She said, it, I gotta say, it has been really fun. Now I just get I get invited to all kinds of things that I didn't get invited to before. She at the New York Film Festival, it was great, and the whole cast was there. So I thought, so she is your age, Julie, because she's a couple years older than I am. And I was just thinking, you know, to work your whole career as an actress, and then like have this one moment where everybody agrees, like everyone in that movie was really great. Obviously. Ben Affleck and I forget the actress's name. I mean, they're the they're the stars, but there are a lot of other really beefy roles in that movie, including the mom, Mary Beth, and so uh, so Lisa's the mom, and and I said, well, that is really a pivotal role in that movie, and she she has well, this that's fa- that's very exciting. Yeah, she has this fantastic voice. She said, yes, Liz. It takes a mother to create a sociopath. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Anyway, isn't that cool? I just thought I would pass that along. This that is, is amazing. Yeah. So life in LA, you know, you never know who you're going to bump into. And some of them, some of them you even know. I was very surprised. On the sad side here in Southern California this year, um, this week, uh, we had the explosion of that Virgin Galactic rocket. And, uh, you know, it was just a, bad week for rockets, but in this case, one of the pilots died and another one is in very serious condition. And I just, you know, that whole Virgin Galactic thing, I mean, I support them trying to figure this out because science does need to keep marching forward. But as a potential passenger, I just want to ask you guys, are you interested at all in suborbital flight? Like, is that something that you would ever in a million years sign up for? Megan, let's start with you. Suborbital flight, yes or no? I mean, I don't think I physically would be able to because I have the Dolan claustrophobia. (laughs) So I just, I mean, I can barely wear a wetsuit. So I don't think I could do it. (laughs) 
<laughs> and Julie? Megan's never going to be able to get in that space. No. <laughs> you're out. You're out. Oh, no. No way. I, no way. I do not, not want to go up that high. There is nothing up there that I want. No. I'm out, Liz. How about you? <laughs> well, see, if you want to send me to Mars or something, like if I was actually going somewhere, I'd be interested. Uh, but this idea of just going up there and being weightless for a little while and coming back down, it just sounds like a sounds like a bad boat ride where you're going to be nauseous the whole time. You know, like just yeah. like uh, spending a lot of money to be seasick is what it feels like to me. Anyway, yeah. the uh, they're obviously experimenting. They're trying to figure this out. As I said, I, like I support the idea of science really figuring it out and private industry being uh, involved in the figuring it out. But it was um, it was sad and shocking to see that happen this week. But I would like to just point out that Sir Richard Branson, who um, who is this who is leading this charge, it is his company. He gave a beautiful speech at the um, at the crash site, uh, and you can look at it on YouTube. And is and I would just wish that Sir Richard Branson was on the ballot in my state uh, for come Tuesday because he just was so eloquent and yet inspiring, and he was certainly sensitive and thoughtful to those that had been injured and lost their life but encouraged us to dream on and reach on. And it was pretty good. So uh, Richard Branson for president. That's what I say. (laughs) I haven't seen that. I'll have to watch that. Okay. Well, that's good. It's uh, yeah. Well, you know, anything goes in a Texas election, right? Maybe he could run. (laughs) (laughs) The um, well, speaking of elections, I wanted to, uh, you know, our new signature segment, uh, that Leon uh, launched a couple of weeks ago is a segment called Whose Bread Idea Was That Anyway? Right? She was talking about a neighborhood uprising, and we thought there are quite a few things that could fit under the rubric of Whose Bread Idea Was That Anyway? And so this morning I would like to recommend uh, one thing that's been going on here in my home, and this is uh, election robocalls are just such a terrible idea anyway. You know, when you get the pre-recorded calls from people telling you uh, how they're voting or recommending that you vote one way or another on a candidate or an issue. But here in California, maybe it's true in New York and Texas too, we get a lot of celebrity robocalls. And Uh this year we're getting celebrity robocalls on Sunday morning. So I just got to say, like, this morning Maria Shriver called me. (laughs) And John Legend called me. And John Legend, the musician, is because we have, you know, some education initiatives on the ballot here. It's like, okay, Maria, John, I I enjoy hearing from you, but maybe not at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. I just feel like I know the election's only two days away. But, like, can we confine this to, I don't know, business hours or even you're used to people ruining your dinner time, right? But morning on a weekend whose bright idea was that that just seems like not a, not a good idea so i don't know if you guys have the same issues in your states but in california it's out of control no i mean we don't have a home phone line here yet so uh i don't i haven't gotten any calls but the commercials are really aggressive this 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 season particularly oh really of yeah. course because you're a young and you don't even have a landline do you no, no, we don't. I plan to get one. It's just we've been moving slowly around here. <laughs> but, you know, I actually do have an interesting comment on this election I'm actually much more interested in than um, ever before. I'm not very political, so I'm not usually interested. But 
One of my best friends from college went home to upstate New York, and she is running for Congress. And if she gets elected, she'll be the youngest woman ever elected to Congress. Okay. What's what's her name, Megan? Write in. We could do a write-in vote for her. <laughs> you should definitely write her in. She she's running in. It's New York twenty-one. I think is her district. Her name is Elise Stefanik. Um, her website is eliseforcongress.com, and I'm I'm just really excited for her. She's been super duper busy for the past at least two years running this campaign, and uh, is extremely impressive and hardworking. And I'm really excited for her. I can't wait to see what happens. All right. Wow, that's exciting. That is exciting, and wouldn't it be nice to have young, some young, fresh faces in Congress? You know, exactly. <laughs> there's so much room for improvement there. So, uh, so, so much, so, so much room for improvement. <laughs> Liz, we're getting here at the end of our show, so I think I don't know if uh, you want to talk about the real or robots for a second. Oh, I thought we had the terrible thirty twos. Okay. Oh, well, okay. We We've got talk. time. We've got We've time. Got time. Go for it. Okay. Okay. Well, Megan, then I have to ask you because I saw an article again in the, in the paper about yes. a syndrome that happens to uh, people in their thirties uh, and it's called the terrible, instead of the terrible twos, <laughs> this is the terrible 32s. <laughs> and it's when perfectly normal youngish adults in, in, in part of their development, they turn into cranky, self-pity, oh, you know, people over the discrepancy between the life that they have and the life that they feel they're entitled to based on popular cultural narratives. Right. They feel that they should have the brownstone, the big promotion, the perfect husband, the children, <laughs> and in fact, they don't have any of that. And I wanted to know, you're, you're you know, nearing your 30s there. Um, uh, what, what do you, do you see this with any of your friends that they're they're going into this period of cranky self-pity because of the discrepancies in their life? You know, I don't, uh, this is the first I've heard of it, and I did look up the article since we've been talking. It is hilarious. Um, one of the symptoms, one of the symptoms they note is complicated feelings about Lena Dunham, generally resolving in envy. <laughs> that, I, I think that's great. I haven't seen this in any, many of my friends, but I think it's kind of a failure failure to launch type uh, manifestation, but yeah, I, I don't know. Well, I would say, Megan, if you have friends who are running for Congress and stuff, <laughs> you, 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 they are somehow escaping the terrible 32s. You know, you have a public-spirited group, and uh, maybe they will escape some of uh, this syndrome. Julie, your sons who are in this age group, do you see evidence of this with them? Uh, well, not so, not so, I mean, I guess, you know, so, I, I think probably for, they know people that, uh, through, uh, you know, may be more advanced on their careers, you know, I mean, so I, I think when you enter into your thirties, you start to think about like, are you making your way in the world the way you thought you were going to be making the way in the world? But they both seem pretty happy. I don't think they're suffering from the, um, the terrible 32s, but I think they probably know people who, you know, who have, who have the questioning that's going on. Mm -hmm. Maybe not the crankiness, right. but the questioning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It looks to me like your sons have plenty of good ways to channel their instincts in the world. The photos you sent through on Friday of your son, your daughter-in-law, and their brand new baby, Josephine, dressed up the threesome as like the ingredients of a strawberry shortcake for a Halloween. That yeah. was, that was pretty adorable. 
Yes, yes. No, so they're doing fine. But I, I thought it was a funny article because I think I do know, I have friends that have children this age and some, you know, this the, just as Megan was saying, sort of the failure to launch or the, you know, the idea that, uh, you know, some people are advancing farther in their careers or, you know, people who, you know, are, you know, want to buy a house as Megan, Megan knows that, you know, you, you know, you worked hard to be able to be able be in a position to buy a house, right. you know, going through some of these milestones, right? That, uh, you know, and you generally, you can't do all of them at the same time. And you probably do have a little bit of jealousy towards people who have all of it all at the same time at a young age. I do. I, I am jealous of these 30 year olds that, <laughs> oh, definitely, that yeah. seem to have it all. It's like, how can they, how can they afford that? That's right. They seem to have it all, but don't have to work that hard. Yes, yes. That's, uh, I'll just say that. Yeah, okay. Which is why I have no conflict about Lena Dunham, because she obviously works like a dog, Megan. Look yes. at her. She's, uh-huh. like, writing TV shows and writing books, and now she's going back to movies. And she's, like, she just seems like such a creative powerhouse. Like, uh, good for her. Just go for it. You don't have to like her TV show. There's no law that says you have to like her TV show. Right. But, you know, she's certainly a hard worker in an extremely original voice. So uh, more from her. I'm fine with that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we do, uh, we are here at an hour. We need to wrap this up. I'm introducing a new game here on Satellite Sisters, which I'm calling a real or a robot. I, uh, I mentioned this last week. If you go, we urge you to join the Satellite Sisters Facebook group which is different than the Facebook page. The Facebook group is like an open group and anyone can post things there and all kinds of discussions go on over there. We encourage you to participate, but you have to, you have to ask to join and then we get an approval list. And as I've said many times on the show, I approve everyone as long as I can see that you have some actual friends, right? That you're, if you can prove to me that you're a real person, then it's all in. So, but there's some kind of weird thing going on now about people applying into groups with these fictitious names. And then as far as we can tell, once you mistakenly let them into the group, they just want to sell us sunglasses. I don't understand. Why are they all selling sunglasses? Have you noticed that? Like, uh, all right. So this week's, uh, our new game, Real or Robot, this week's name of the week is Sethoez Smiatas. Okay? (laughs) Sethoez Smiatas. If you are a real person, uh, please just send me another email. And if you are, then I apologize for mocking your name. But I had just never seen this name before. It's S E T H. O-A-E-Z is the first name. So I'm pronouncing that Sethoaz. Uh, and Smiatas, S-M-E-A-T-A-S. Sethoaz, Smiatas. So Sethoaz, if you are within the sound of my voice, just email me again. But if you're a sunglass-selling robot, we are going to be blocking you from the <laughs> Facebook group. So anyone else who wants to join, as I said, it's so easy to get in unless you're a robot. So just do that. Or if you listen to our show on our blog, that's SatelliteSisters.com. We love it when you go there. Please post. You can post your comments there on the blog. Remember, if the podcast... Um, if you download, listen from iTunes or from Stitcher or any of the other pod, podcast services, we love when you can like our show. We love when you can review our show. And most of all, if you can share it on to your own friends. Um, that's the spirit of the Satellite Sisterhood. All right, sisters? So uh, what do we have going on this week? Lee, I mean, Julie, you and Leanne will be doing a Tuesday show? 
We have a Bang Up Tuesday show. Um, I can't really uh, disclose any of the details of the show because we haven't uh, we haven't made it up yet. But <laughs> it's going to be really good this week, okay. really good. So you don't want to miss miss that. Yep. All right, Megan. Uh, uh, happy impending holidays to you and Greg. Have a good time Thanks. in the new house. Do you? What do you guys do for Thanksgiving? Are you? Do you struggle between his family there and your own family in Connecticut? How do you work that out on Thanksgiving? Yes. Well, luckily we're close enough that we can kind of split. We'll be here with um, his family for Thanksgiving, and then probably up in Connecticut for the weekend. So, okay. yeah. Okay. That's okay. Nice. Good. All right, and well, it's and Liz, the roof this week. Will, will we got an update? Do you think <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll email you before the Tuesday show and let you know what's going on? Oh. I, I'm just telling you, as long as it doesn't rain again, it's it's purely cosmetic, right? So, yeah. right. No, no, Liz, it's not. I mean, you have like rotting wood, rotting uh particle boards. It could be it's bacteria is growing there, Liz. You, you, <laughs> you're in like you're in a germ factory there, you can't just. <laughs> You can't just say, well, it's not going to rain anymore. Okay. Liz. Okay, you're right. Okay. Uh-huh. No, I... Please do something about it. Wheels are in motion, Julie. There's only so much I can do myself, though. But so wheels are in motion. I, I promise you. I will... I'll give you an update. And uh, so you'll hear about it on Tuesday, and then next weekend we will be back. Uh, we are the Satellite Sisters. Don't forget, call your Satellite Into the world you make, you lose yourself, but you you find your way. I'm gonna watch you radiate, 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 radiate. We turn so slow, I know it's hard to wait, but take your time, son. Yours to take, I'm gonna watch you rain. DA, rain, DA, rain, DA, oh, oh, rain, DA. These rocks, they hold heat, pools of water, cool your feet. As you walk, you believe every part.